Welcome to today's Church Central podcast. We're a family of churches across Birmingham. To find out more, head to churchcentral.org.uk. We're coming a little bit close, closer to the end of this uh, magnificent book. And we're going to wave goodbye today to a character who has been in the last few chapters at the very least, maybe in the background throughout. And that character, get your hankies ready everyone, is Babylon. Goodbye, Babylon. That's what we're going to be saying today. And uh, Babylon has been presented as a great city, uh, and it is presented in this passage as a city. Uh, And I guess you could see it as the capital city of the baddies, if you wanted to put it in that sort of sense. Uh, But also, as we saw last week, in classic Revelation fashion, you can't just see it in one sense. Also, it's been uh, presented as a woman. And Rich spoke on this last week from Revelation 17. Not just any woman, actually the mother of all prostitutes. Babylon city and the mother of all prostitutes, the same character or place, or we'll come to that in a little, in a little while. And if you uh, remember, at the end of chapter 17, this woman, uh, Babylon, the mother of all prostitutes, was turned on by her own people. Again, in classic Revelation fashion, her own people were a scarlet beast and a collection of horns. Well, they turned on Babylon, and they ate her flesh and burnt her with fire. Again, if, you, if you're new to our series, that might shock you. If you're not, We've had that in pretty much every chapter. So, you know, that is tuned to the frequency of Revelation. But what we find here in today's passage is um, the last mention of Babylon in the book of Revelation. After this, Babylon is well and truly gone. And so here what we have is a whole collection of different responses to the fall of this great city. And they are very different and very uh, diverse in that sort of way. And um, the passage, if, if you even you've got it open in front of you, fl- flick through it. It doesn't read just like a kind of monologue. This is like some uh, dramatic production. You've got all of these voices uh, chipping in from all over the place. You've got voices from heaven, and you've got voices from earth, and you've got uh, voices rejoicing, and you've got other voices mourning and weeping, and you've got some bits that are really quiet, and you've got some bits that are really loud. And so. I would like to present is, I think probably it was meant to be read, not as a reading, but as a whole chorus of different voices responding to the final and emphatic destruction of the city of Babylon. And to do this, I need to first of all present you with the cast of our performance this morning. Uh, and I will, I'll bring them in in turn, but I'll present them in their categories. Uh, we will start with the cast of heaven, who are going to be with us today. And first of all, we have an angel. Could, uh, could our angel come forward? Come forward, round of applause for our angel. Uh, just to spot the angel, uh, otherwise known in the passage as another angel, or a mighty angel, or the angel. Maybe different angels. For our production, they're the same one, and they're Verena. Okay? Um, secondly, we have Jesus. Deepak, come on forward. Yes. Now, I am making a rather, uh, a, a rather decisive dictation. <laughs> directorial decision here, as the bits that Deep has to do are not definitely Jesus. They are a voice calling from heaven and a voice from the throne. The context would suggest Jesus, and so I just ask you to go with me. There's not a lot at stake if it's like a big angel or Jesus. In this passage, there is in actual... You know, uh, but we're going to go with that. Uh, so Deepak will be Jesus. Right. Also, we have in the heavenly cast the 24 elders and the four living beings. Not going to count on this one. All I'm going to say is this. That's you guys on this side of the room. You are the 24 elders and the four living beings. For those who would like to participate, 
don't worry, I'll, I'll cue you and everything's good. So that will be your, your, your thing, okay? So you might want to get your voices ready or whatever. Um, that's good. Final in, finally, in the cast of heaven, we have a vast crowd in heaven. That will be all of you from this side to that side. That is going to be you. Again, I'll cue you in, but just get yourself ready because you will be part of our production. So there we have the cast of heaven. Can we have a round of applause for the cast of heaven? Um, but then we have the cast of earth. Um, we have, first of all, the kings of the world. Where are the kings of the world? I think that would be Mr. McMillan. Now, the cast of the earth, they get their own mic. They also get, uh, get their own uh, props. I will, uh, I crown you. So, there you are. Scotsman back at the throne. Yes. <laughs> the Scotsman back on the throne. Beautiful. Um, okay. The merchants of the world as well. Where is our merchants? Or our Claire. Brilliant. Claire, we've got uh, the merchants. You can have a, a prop as well. Now, I brought a prop. No expense spared on this. The sellotape will fall off. A money bag. But Claire's come with her bling as well. So that helps us out on this one. Check the watch. Very good. There you are. Merchants of the world. Very, very good. What's that? <laughs> She's playing the part already. Where's my money? And finally, the captains of the merchant ships who are sailors, but I'm, another version calls them sea captains. Arr, okay, I'm going to go with the sea captains on this one. And where's my sea captains gone? Where's Greg? Ah, oh, here he is. Right, sea captains, right, you get your, your hat. Now, the, uh, the hook is optional. No, it's not. It's going on. Um, these are not pirates in the ancient Greek, but I thought they're on the sea. I mean, everyone likes pirates, so Greg is a pirate. Um, good. Now, the next thing is probably quite important to say at this juncture, uh, and may sound like the most ridiculous thing to say at this point, but um, the t let's go for tone. What are we going for in this production? Okay? This passage is not comedic. Just to be clear, it is not comedic. Ah, oh, well, yeah, you see. Um, and that is not, we're not going for panto here. That's not where we're aiming. Whether we end up there is another matter altogether. But we are going to push against that urge, but all I would say is, and this will be no surprise, this will not be the most polished dramatic production you will ever see in your life, okay? So there might be the odd bit where we, we there's a little chuckle here or there or odd mistake, but bear with us, you know, we're, we're trying uh, on this thing. I think there's more to gain from acting out this way than there is to lose, but I guess we'll see whether that's true. Okay, so is, is everyone in place? Is everyone ready? Good, good. Um, just to say, one note for them, when it's your bit, if you could just stand for your bit. Good, fantastic. Right, oh, and I'm, oh, Biggest round of applause for the person who's got the most words. I'm the narrator. Yeah, woo! Great. Okay, I'll move this to the side. Here we go. Oh, I need your. I need, you need this. Could you just check that mic? Is that working? Hello. We got. Just leave it there. Could you just keep talking into it and see what happens? Hello. 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 Give those ones hello. a go. Hello. 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 Oh, we've got that one. Woo! We have mic. No, don't move. Give it a go. I think we've Hello. got mics. Great. We're ready one, to go. Two, well, we, we'll see. Otherwise, they just have to shout loud, won't they? Here we go. Revelation 18. After this, after all this, I saw another angel come down from heaven with great authority, and the earth grew bright with his splendor. He gave a mighty shout. Babylon is fallen. That great city is fallen. She has become a home for demons. She is a hideout for every foul spirit a hideout for every foul vulture and every foul and dreadful animal. For all the nations have fallen, 
because of the wine of her passionate immorality. The kings of the world have committed adultery with her. Because of her desires for extravagant luxury, the merchants of the world have grown rich. Then I heard another voice calling from heaven. Come away from her, my people. Do not take part in her sins, or you will be punished with her. For her sins are piled as high as heaven. And God remembers her evil deeds. Do to her as she has done to others. Double her penalty for all her evil deeds. She brewed a cup of terror for others, so brewed twice as much for her. She glorified herself and lived in luxury, so match it now with torment and sorrow. She boasted in her heart, I am queen on my throne. I am no helpless widow, and I have no reason to mourn. Therefore, these plagues will overtake her in a single day. Death and mourning and famine, she will be completely consumed by fire, for the Lord God who judges her is mighty. And the kings of the world who committed adultery with her and enjoyed her great luxury will mourn for her as they see the smoke rising from her charred remains. They will stand at a distance, terrified by her great torment. They will cry out. How terrible, how terrible for you, O Babylon, you great city. In a single moment, God's judgment came on you. The merchants of the world will weep and mourn for her, for there is no one left to buy their goods. She bought great quantities of gold, silver, jewels, and pearls, fine linen, purple, silk, and scarlet cloth, Things made of fragrant thiaine wood, ivory goods and objects made of expensive wood, and bronze, iron, and marble. She also bought cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, olive oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle, sheep, horses, wagons, and bodies, that is, human slaves. The fancy things you love so much are gone. They cry. The merchants who became wealthy by selling her these things will stand at a distance, terrified by her great torment. They will weep and cry out. How terrible, how terrible for that great city. She, has she was clothed in finest purple and scarlet linens, decked out with gold and precious stones and pearls. In a single mo 17, in a single moment... All the wealth of the city is gone. And all the captains of the merchant ships and their passengers and sailors and crews will stand at a distance. They will cry out as they watch the smoke ascend and they will say, Where is there another city as great as this? And they will weep and throw dust on their heads to show their grief. And they will cry out. How terrible, how terrible for that great city. The ship owners became wealthy by transporting her great wealth on the seas in a single moment. It is all gone. Rejoice over her fate, O heaven, and people of God and apostles and prophets, for at last God has judged her for your sakes. Then a mighty angel picked up a boulder the size of a huge millstone. He threw it into the ocean and shouted, Just like this, the great city Babylon will be thrown down with violence and will never be found again. The sound of harps, singers, Flutes and trumpets will never be heard in you again. No craftsmen and no trades will ever be found in you again. 
the sound of the mill will never be heard in you again. The light of a lamp will never shine in you again. The happy voices of brides and grooms will never be heard in you again. For your merchants were the greatest in the world, and you deceived the nations with your sorceries. In your streets flowed the blood of the prophets and of God's holy people, and the blood of people slaughtered all over the world. Now at this point, just notice uh, what was said in that, that bit by the angel. It's not just things aren't seen in Babylon again. Things aren't heard. There is no sound of the mill. There is no sound of the happy voices of brides and grooms. So the idea is it's getting quieter and quieter and quieter. Okay? And we shift now from earth, which is over here, to heaven. So could our heavenly host stand up? Is that okay? Those who would like to participate. I remember... It's all been very, very quiet. There's no sound anymore in Babylon. It's been so, oh, all of you, you're all heavenly hosts. You just get, you just get your own bits in bits. You, 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 you'll, you'll see. I'll help you. Okay, so it's all very quiet in Babylon. After this, I heard what sounded like a vast crowd in heaven shouting. Go with me. Praise the Lord. Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. His judgments are true and just. He has punished the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged the murder of his servants. And <laughs> thought I'd get you there. And again, their voices rang out. Praise the Lord. The smoke from that city ascends forever and ever. Wow, we've got some action at the back. I hope that wasn't harmful to anyone's health. Um, then the four, 24 elders and the four living beings, just this size. You don't need to do this bit, but you can if you like. Fell down and worshipped God who was sitting on the throne. They cried out, Amen. Praise the Lord. And from the throne came a voice that said, Praise our God, all his servants, all who fear him. From the least to the greatest. Then I heard again what sounded like the shout of a vast crowd, or the roar of mighty ocean waves, or the crash of loud thunder. Praise the Lord, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice, and let us give honor to him, for the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb, and his bride has prepared herself. She has been given the finest of pure white linen to wear. For the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. Aside, you can sit down now if you like. Thank you. And the angel said to me, Write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And he added, These are true words that come from God. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said, No, don't worship me. I am a servant of God, just like you and your brothers and sisters who testify about their faith in Jesus. Worship only God, for the essence of prophecy is to give a clear witness for Jesus. Well, that worked about 20 times better than I thought it would. Fantastic. Give everyone a round of applause. Good job. Thank you. Thank you to my cast. We have the kings of the world. We have... Our pirate captain of the sea. We have our bling queen, the merchant of the world. And of course, Jesus and the angel and you guys. Well done. Very, very good. That was ace. Now, I'm going to spend uh, two weeks on this passage, not uh, in consecutive amounts of time, just two Sunday mornings. Um, and uh, I'm going to... 
there will be all sorts of things here. I might unpack some more. more. I'm going to go for a specific uh, area of this passage next week, I think. But I want to just talk about a broad overview today of this, what we've just seen, this passage here, and ask really one question. And this is the question I want to challenge you with today to think about and then to apply. What will you do when Babylon falls? What will you do when Babylon falls? How are you going to respond on that day? Now, this passage, I think, for all the detail, presents us with two incredibly stark alternatives to the fall of Babylon. They're so different that you wonder how can they be responding to the same event here. You get this response from earth. I wrote it in earth over here and heaven over there. And if you notice, the, the, the kind of language that came from here was very, very different from the language that came from over there. Because over here, we had the allies of Babylon. Okay? And what they were doing, they were weeping, they were mourning, they were cowering in fear, and they were lamenting. That's all you got from earth. That's all you got from the allies of Babylon. But over here, heaven, and I guess the people of the Lamb... Well, they did the complete exact opposite. The key word was rejoice. They rejoice. They praise. They pump their fists. They cheer. I mean, this passage leaves us in no uncertainty on one thing. Babylon will fall. The question, I think, for us is, well, on that day, then, when it falls, what will each of our responses be to that event? And to land that question, I think, with any uh, forces it should be done, we have to deal with two other questions uh, to really get there. And those are these. What is Babylon and how will it fall? So let's go through those two questions and then land on what our response will be. What is Babylon? Some of you think, I've wanted to know this for ages. If you've got even a passing interest in Revelation, or have ever read this before, I'm sure you've Googled this one. And I'm sure as you have, you have found all sorts of fanciful uh, things. Who is this mother of all prostitutes? Who is the great city uh, of Babylon? And uh, some have said, well, it's obviously the Roman Empire. That's the big empire on earth when John was writing this. And of course, it's a city. It's defined by a city. It's defined by the city of, of Rome. So some will go that way. Others will go, no, 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 it's a city, but it's not that city. Maybe it's Jerusalem. And Jerusalem representing the kind of uh, Jewish religion of that time, which is, was the main opponent to Christianity in the, in the Gospels and also in the book of Acts. And some have gone there. And those, I think options, if you wanted to put it there, have quite a bit going for them, I think. But from that point, all sorts of other fanciful options come off. Uh, others have said, could be the Catholic Church, could be the EU, could be global capitalism. I don't know. It, basically, anything people don't like, they just call uh, Babylon, essentially. Now, what we've been trying to do all this series, and I'm going to continue in the same vein on this, is we like to steer you away from obsession over the intricate details and the very specific questions because I think they distract us uh, and we lose the wood for the trees a little when we go down those sort of rabbit holes. I, I do think that John probably had uh, certain reference points in mind and they probably were actual cities and if you want to have a chat about that I'm sure we could we could talk about that I'm sure you could talk to Jonathan and Rich we've all been chatting about those sort of things as time's gone on but I don't think he was that bothered in his readers identifying Babylon very precisely. I don't think that was his point in writing or the aim that he wanted. I don't think the key question we should ask is, what precise city or ideology or nation is Babylon? I think what this passage throws up to us, the question is, what are the key characteristics that make something into a Babylon? 
In other words, what is Babylon like? And if we can spot the kind of characteristics that make a Babylon a Babylon, well, then we can spot any sort of Babylon, wherever it may turn up, in whichever generation and whatever form that it may take. I think that when we ask the question, what is Babylon like? If we take an entire sweep of scripture, including this passage, I think that the key characteristic of Babylon we find is pride. It's pride. And we see this, like I said, not just here, but Babylon has a history in the Bible. This is not just a, a word pulled out of the ether by John. Uh, Babylon has been there all along in the Bible. Okay? And we could turn to the origin story of Babylon that we find in Genesis 11, uh, the Tower of Babel or Babel. Well, that's the origin story of the city of Babylon. And in that story, if you were to go to it, you see the, the foundation stone of this whole city is pride. Let us make a name for ourselves. Let's make ourselves famous. Let's reach to heaven. It's human pride. But I'm not going to go there. I think the clearest place to see it in the Old Testament is in the story of Babylon's most famous king. Does anyone know the name of Babylon's most famous king? Nebuchadnezzar, yes, Nebuchadnezzar. I heard a, I heard a voice, someone, someone got it from over there, I think. Uh, King Nebuchadnezzar. And uh, in Dan he appears in the book of Daniel, he appears in a couple of other books as well. But in Daniel chapter 4, verse 30, Nebuchadnezzar sums up his pride very succinctly, which is very helpful for us. It wasn't so helpful for him as it triggered a whole series of events for him that was Probably he would have preferred to avoid, but you'd have to go to Daniel 4 to see that. I just want to look at this phrase, he says, which sums up his pride. And I think really what we could see is the spirit of Babylon. Okay, this is what happens in Daniel 4.30. Nebuchadnezzar is walking on the roof of his royal palace in Babylon. He looks over the city, and this is what he says, coming from the NIV on this verse. Is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power? And for the glory of my majesty. Just think about that statement for a minute. As a, as a de definition of pride, I don't think I've ever come across a better, more three-dimensional approach to the subject. Look what he's saying here. He's saying this. First of all, he's, I did it. I did this. I am the key player here, people. But he goes on a bit further. He says, secondly, well, I did it. I did it by the means that it happened by me. I did it by me. I did it by my mighty power. My natural ability here is the key factor. But he doesn't even stop there. It's not just that I did it by my mighty power. I did it for my own glory. I, I'm the key player. My natural ability is the key factor. And my goal is to elevate myself. I think, as I said, it would be fair to say that this kind of statement of pride would not just have been representative of Nebuchadnezzar, but of Babylon whenever it's presented in Scripture. And of course, in our passage today, John kind of riffs off this statement. John eight, uh, Revelation 18, 7, if you remember this bit, she boasted in her heart, the clues in the boasted, she boasted in her heart, this is Babylon, I am queen on my throne. I am no helpless widow, and I have no reason to mourn. Very similar sentiments in Revelation. What she's saying, she's saying, I'm in charge. I'm the queen. I don't need any help from anyone. I'm no helpless widow. And you know what? Everything is going to be fine because I've got this. I'm in charge. I don't need any help. Everything is going to be fine because I've got this. It's a different wording, but it's presenting the same defining characteristics. Pride, and I think we could probably throw in as well self-sufficiency in there. 
If Babylon had a crest, I think it would look something like this. Babylon, pride and self-sufficiency. That would be the kind of crest of Babylon. And we see that repeated throughout the whole Bible, and we see that definitely here in Revelation 18. And therefore, when we're asking, well, what is Babylon? I think whenever we see an ideology or an institution or a political power that carries that sort of motto, I think we can fairly say that's a franchise of Babylon right there. So what's Babylon? Babylon is pride and self-sufficiency embodied. And how will Babylon fall then, or all the Babylons fall? Well, this question could be asked in two different ways. You could ask this like you're looking at a mountain. You can go, whoa, how could that mountain ever fall? It looks so strong, looks so solid, looks so permanent. And it's like, this is impossible. How could this happen? We, we could ask the question like that. Or you could ask the question differently. Imagine I was to throw a ball in the air, and when it got to the top of its arc, it said, how could that ball ever fall? We could ask the question like that. That would be a stupid question, wouldn't it? Because we know that you don't need to ask the question. You just need to wait. Because the ball is definitely going to fall. It's inevitable because of the very nature of reality. In this case, I guess, the force of gravity. I think the Bible recognizes that we would tend to think of Babylon like that mountain and ask this question like that mountain. When we see Babylons around, we think, whoa, how could that fall? Actually, passages like this and all through the scriptures, it would be encouraging to say, yeah, ask the question, but ask the question like you're talking about the ball. This is how Paul describes reality in Romans 11.36. Okay? We need to get a dose of reality to understand how wisdom uh, when we come across questions like this. And contrast it with what we heard before from Nebuchadnezzar. This is what Paul says. For everything comes from Jesus and exists by his power and is intended for his glory. It's almost like a complete reversal of Nebuchadnezzar's idea. It's saying everything comes from Jesus. He did it by his power for his glory. There is only one person who will be able to say, I did it by my power for my glory. And it's definitely not Nebuchadnezzar. It's Jesus. And so whenever anyone says otherwise, we can make all sorts of conclusions about that. We could say that's morally wrong. We could say that's a bit annoying. That person's full of themselves. And those things are true. But I think at a more fundamental level, the Bible would just simply say, yes, but they're also incorrect. It's, you've got it wrong. You've made a mistake here because you are not in that position. Somebody else is. And because that's how reality is structured, soon you will crash against the wall of reality and you will fall. And this is what's happened to the, all the Babylons we've seen so far in history. The Roman Empire, the British Empire, the Third Reich, the Soviet Union, etc., etc., etc. It will happen to all the others as well, whether they're present dominant political powers, America, China, etc., corporations, Google, Meta, FIFA, any of them. The minute they set themselves up and say, I did this by my power for my glory, they are going to crash against reality and they're going to fall. Like that ball does when you throw up in the air. It's just how the world is. It's just how the universe uh, is, is structured. It's how it is. But I need to, I think, bring this a little bit closer to home because we love to look far off and say them and them and them. It's not just the big global Babylons that will hit this wall, you know. 
It's our own personal Babylons too. Because you know what? All of us engage ourselves in different projects and enterprises with this mentality. Just think about it now. What are you involved with that are like your little Babylons? Things that you do to, if you're being honest, you're only doing them or involved with them to show how impressive you are. You're only doing it to fill your bank account, to elevate yourself. Well, those things are just the same. And you might cherish those things dearly, but I need to tell you this, those things will fall. They could fall for all sorts of different reasons. They might fall in the seasons of your life through things like sickness or redundancy or bereavement. You can no longer hold on to them anymore. They just fall and disappear. But you know what? Even if our personal Babylons make it over those hurdles, they will certainly fall on the day we none of us really want to think about a whole lot, but the day when every single one of us, our lives end and we die. So this question isn't a socio-political question. This is a deeply personal and relevant question to every single one of us. When Babylon falls, whether it's the big global Babylons or the small personal ones that we hold on to so dearly, how are we going to respond? We know that day is going to come, so it would be wise for us to make sure that day is a day when we can rejoice and not cower in fear and mourn and weep. So how are we going to respond? Do we just have to wait and see what's going to happen? Well, I think this passage gives us a bit more than that. It gives us these three examples of the type of people who love Babylon, whose fates we want to avoid. And they were sat just up here. And very helpfully, you know what, for, just for symmetry, I'll, I'll put this over here as well. They've helped their little symbols so we can remember who they are. We had the uh, merchants, we had the sea captains, and we had the kings. And so as we draw to a close, let's just look at those things one at a time. We have, first of all, the kings who are here. Now, if you remember, these groups, with their, their wonderful Scottish accent, the Scottish kings of the world, um, they mourned. They were terrified. Their call, their cries, how terrible. They cried that as they watched the city burn. Well, what do the kings represent? Well, I think it's pretty simple what the kings represent. Kings represent power. People who cherish power are very likely to be attracted to Babylon. I mean, it goes together, doesn't it? The kings and Babylon. Babylon here presents as a queen. So, of course, the kings are going to be attracted to the queen. Just like that. People who love power are attracted to Babylon. And so the question for everyone in this room is, can I ask you, do you chase after power? Let's put that in a slightly more modern way. Do you long for influence? Do you love to be in control? Do you want to be the leader? Do you want to be recognized? Do you want to be honored? Is that you? Those are the things you dream about when you're at a lost or staring into the sky. Think, oh, I'd love to be like that. I'd love to be a leader. I'd love to be in power. Let's be clear. All of those things I've just said can be used for good. It would be really great to have more Christians uh, in positions of influence in our communities and our culture. In the church, obviously, we need strong Christian leaders. It would be very odd for me as a leader in the church not to say that. And that's true. But here's the deal. That is an unusual posture in some ways for a Christian. 
If you were to imagine the posture of a Christian being most Christian, what, how would they be standing? Would they be standing like this from the stage? Would it be me now? I'm or kind of like regal bearing like that. Now, I think we get the picture from Jesus himself on the Last Supper. A Christian's posture, being most Christian, is on their knees washing the feet of others. We're here to serve. We are not to be people who chase and cherish power and influence. If our deepest dreams are dreams of gaining power, even if we dress them up with concern for God's purposes or concern for our communities or concerns for the church even, well, you know what? If that happens, the fall of Babylon will be terrible for us. We'll mourn. We'll be terrified on that day. If, though, we live our lives to serve, and that's where we funnel our, ch- our dreams and our ambitions And from the floor, as we're washing feet, we can look up and from the bottom of our hearts say, Jesus, yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. Yours is the glory. If we can do that, that day will bring rejoicing for us. So first we have the kings. Secondly, we have the merchants with the money bag and the bling. They also weeped and mourned. They were terrified. They said, how terrible. That was their response to the fall of Babylon. What did they represent? Well, again, simple, I think it's meant to be simple. They represent wealth. People who love money love Babylon. It's as simple as that. Technically, of course, uh, these merchants don't just love money, do they? They love the things that you get with your money. I mean, there's this long list. If you've got the Bible in front of you, it's not going to be on the screens, but it's in verses 12 and 13. You have all sorts of exotic things, things that, you know, with thiaine wood. I mean, I have no idea what that is. I think they made that word up, to be honest. Not wood. I know what that is, the thiaine bit. Um, but if we put them into categories, I think we can see that actually this is incredibly relevant for us. The list in 12 and 13, the goods that are listed are basically jewelry, precious stones and precious metals. Fancy clothes, ornate furniture, gourmet cuisine, and status symbols. That's what you get in those verses. And I think when we think about those things, the question is, well, are those the things that we love? The cry of the merchants in 18 verse, chapter 18, verse 14, I think hits us just as hard today as it would have done then. This is what they say. The fancy things you loved so much... Are gone. Can I ask you, what will you do on the day when the fancy things that you love so much are gone? Because I guarantee you, one day that will happen. And it could be very, very soon. If we love our money and our possessions, the fall of Babylon will be terrible for us. We will mourn, we will be terrified. However, if we reorder our lives by the power of the Holy Spirit so that we see the thing of greatest value, the treasure, to be Jesus himself, you know what? You won't just survive the day when everything slips through your fingers. A laugh will rise up inside you and you'll rejoice. Wouldn't that be better for you on that day? Thirdly and finally, we have these the sea captains, who Greg was, the, they're on the sea, the, the pirates, the, the merchant, uh, merchant ship owners. 
Um, now, in a sense, this group are just a subset of merchants. They're very concerned with wealth. But I do think there's something just a little bit more subtle going on here with them. They're a separate group. There must be a different meaning they have for John. And I think to understand this, we need to understand the different view they would have had of the sea in those days. I guess if I ask you, what do you think of when you think of the sea? For most of us, we're going to think of trips to the beach. We think, I'm going to the seaside uh, on my holiday. That's probably where the sea fits in for most of us. Maybe we think of Blue Planet or something like that. I don't know. But the sea was a really big deal uh, for people in ancient times because the sea set the horizons of possibility for you. Think of Moana, if you've seen Moana. On the little island, the sea was like, I can't go there. The sea is the thing that stops me exploring and discovering and satisfying my curiosity. Obviously, if you were in John's time uh, in the Middle East, you could get on a horse, you could gallop off all over the place. I'm sure you could get quite far. But for the really curious and adventurous in those days, they would go one step further. They would wonder, what's on the other side of those seas? That's where I want to go. The original readers of Revelation would have known nothing of the Americas. They would have known nothing of Australasia. All they could see was seas kind of curving over the horizon. And so while sea trade was definitely about getting money... It was also about exploration. It was about curiosity. And I think we see this just kind of in, this, in verse 18. It's, a, it's an odd little phrase, but the knee-jerk response of the sea captains to the fall of Babylon is this. They say, where is there another city as great as this? Funny thing to say. Why, why would that be your first thing? And obviously, there's a rhetoric about that. It's a rhetorical question, but I think there's a sense in which they actually mean it. It's like, whoa, Babylon's gone. The disaster. Right. Where's the next Babylon? Where's the next one we're going to find? Where, where's the next thing? Where's somewhere even more exotic? Where are some even more clever ideas? Where's some more interesting culture and music and architecture? I want to find it. Where is it? Again, need to say this. There is nothing wrong with a sense of adventure and a desire to explore God's world. I think that comes from God. It's a really wholesome thing. God-given appetites. But the thing we've got to know is the Bible is clear where we should root those appetites. And it's very, very specific. Colossians chapter 2 describes Jesus in this way. It says, in him, in Jesus, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You want wisdom. You want knowledge. You want to know more about the world. You want to discover. You want to explore reality. Where do you go? Jesus. It's in him. Guys, this is why we encourage you to develop regular Bible habits. This is why we encourage you to develop regular kind of habits of prayer, like we're doing a week like this week. This is why we encourage you to grow in spiritual gifts, to to grow in your worship of Jesus and the practices that go along with that. Those are not just things that we think that good Christians should do. When we do that, what we're doing is we're saying, get your spade, okay? And we want you to go and dig for buried treasure. And we've got a map, and there is an X that marks the spot for that treasure, and that X lies directly on Jesus. And if you learn to dig... For years, I'm going to get this going. Not just for a day, not just for the week of prayer, forever, for your whole life. I'm going to get these patterns in, I'm going to get these habits in, like we're talking about a lot in the action groups. What will you find? You know that's the place to go because all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are in him. 
One day, people are going to run out of all their good ideas. One day, there will be no more interesting books to read and no new musical genres appearing on Spotify. There will be no new countries for you to visit. And that could be because they've actually disappeared. That's possible. But it will be more likely it will be your capacity to experience those things will have disappeared. And so if your sense of curiosity and adventure is rooted in the things of this world, that day is going to cause great mourning and it's going to cause great weeping and it's going to cause great fear. But, once again, if you channel your desire to explore that you've been given by God into a pursuit after Jesus, that day will bring rejoicing. And it will be because of this. It will be because on that day, you will hear the clunk. Clunk, I've got it. You'll hit the buried treasure. Because that's the day when Jesus is revealed and you'll find out the thing that was hidden is no longer hidden. The things you kind of piece together, yeah, I've got a bit of this, bit of this. Suddenly you open the treasure trove. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. One day Babylon is going to fall. We know it. And that day will bring out a response in every one of us. Notice there was nobody in our story who just shrugged and said, eh, Babylon's gone. Who cares? Let's go watch telly. Nobody. It was extreme reactions. And it will be extreme reactions from us too. I urge you to prepare for that inevitability by ensuring it will be more a day of rejoicing than it will be for mourning. I think we can ensure that by summing up what we've seen, by humbly accepting it's all about Jesus and not about you. It's a really difficult thing to do, actually. But we're working, working on that. They're knowing, like, meditating on it. Everything comes from him. It exists by his power. It's intended for his glory, not mine. Every time coming to that, with every project, with every dream, with every ambition. It means turning away from your dreams of personal power Accepting it's him. He has the influence. He has the power. It means rejecting the love of money, making Jesus your treasure. And it means finally settling that ultimately the satisfaction for all our pursuits of wisdom and knowledge are found in Jesus.